Welcome everyone to today's devotion. I am trying something a little different in terms of the uh, uh, recording. So let me know if it sounds better, worse, sane than previous days. Um, just let me know in the comments. You can call, text, whatever, whatever you want. But with that, we're in Mark chapter 6. Now, remember that Mark's gospel so far has been building tension, uh, asking the question that will people recognize who Jesus is? Will they acknowledge who he really is? Remember, the very first verse of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the only people so far to profess Jesus to be Son of God are the demonized. And so what we see in chapter 6 is this phenomenon where people are amazed by Jesus, intrigued by Jesus, but ultimately reject Jesus. They're okay with him being teacher. They're not okay with him being Lord and Savior. Sound familiar? This is virtually everyone you, you meet today. But this is a long chapter. I don't want to spend a long time on it. Some of it will be familiar from our study of Matthew and Luke, um, and even some of it in, in John. So uh, let's look at this uh, as briefly as we can. Verse 2, once again, we see that it is the Sabbath, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now remember, there's a pattern in Mark where where it's in the synagogue where the demonized are, where the criticism is. So what should be a house of worship uh, is, is in fact the opposite. Uh, and yet here we see Jesus teaching, and people are amazed. And so verse 3, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? So you see that they are amazed by his deeds and his words. Both are important. That what Jesus says is backed up by what he does, but what he does is a demonstration of what he says. Jesus claims to forgive sins, remember from a few chapters ago, that is demonstrated in his power to heal the paralytic. So the gospel he preaches is illustrated in the miracles he performs. But notice how quickly we go from amazement to questioning who Jesus is. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. It's amazing how quickly a mob can go from amazement to, to wrath, isn't it? Sound familiar, right? Uh, but you see the argument here is, how can this man be who he is if he's from Nazareth? You'll notice there it mentions, isn't this the carpenter, not the carpenter's son? Then asks, isn't this Mary's son? It's that could be a reference to the questionable uh, conception of Jesus, right? We, we get hints that was an ongoing controversy with Jesus. It also could be uh, a hint that Joseph is indeed dead. So Jesus is known as Mary's son now, not Joseph, because Joseph has passed. Or it could be, again, that well, we know he's the son of Mary, but Joseph says he, Jesus ain't his son, you know. But then we have the names of Jesus' brothers and reference to his sisters. Now, let me just pause and add a footnote here, because we've talked about this in other passages this came up. This means that Mary and Joseph had other children, naturally, right? Now, the reason that's important is because the Catholic Church holds to the perpetual virginity of Mary. That is, that Mary uh, and Joseph were never intimate. Now, let me just say that if that is true, which is not, I mean, this text makes it very clear it's not, then Mary was living in open rebellion against her God and against her husband. And Joseph was living in open rebellion against his God and against his wife. 
It does not make you more holy to be married and uh, deny intimacy. The Bible is clear. With marriage comes intimacy. Uh, one of the problems with Catholicism is we've made virginity a sacrament. Therefore, we said that you are therefore holier than those who are married and intimate in marriage. That is not a biblical concept. I think it's quite dangerous. But enough of that footnote, and I've probably got me enough trouble with that. Uh, out of this, uh, Jesus then sends out the twelve. He's rejected in his hometown. Jesus sends out the twelve. And so he began, it says there, verse 7, to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then they go out and do precisely that. Jesus gives them instructions. There's more detail in Matthew and Luke. Verse 12, it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. Notice, that is the message. It's the message Jesus is preaching. It's the message the disciples are preaching. Notice, everything else that the disciples and Jesus does is around that primary message. They are called not to social justice, but to preach the gospel of repentance. To fight for justice is good. To help the poor is good. To help the needy is good. But you must preach the gospel. You take out the gospel, and all of that uses its uh, power. Verse 13, they drew about many demons, anointed many people with oil, and healed them. So this is part of the discipleship process. Jesus is sending them out to experience it for themselves. But then we get the story of the execution of John the Baptist. You'll notice that it's it's written as it's looking back. So so we have it's an interruption of the story. And and Mark's saying, this reminds me of the story of John the Baptist. What happened to him? It says here that that Herod um, Herod was living in fear when he's hearing these stories about Jesus. Verse 16, when Herod heard this, Jesus is is uh, healing people. People are following him because of his teaching. Herod said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Right? So you, we see almost as if Herod's conscience is attacking him. Right? And, um, and so from there, we get the story of John's execution, starting particularly in verse 17. So uh, I, I, we've looked at this story in the other Gospels. Uh, even John references it in passing, but he references it nonetheless. Um, I want to highlight the end of verse 20, which says, When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Notice that before, people were saying, Jesus is amazing, but he's just a carpenter. So too, John the Baptist, Herod is saying, This guy's crazy but I want to hear more. You see the similarities? There's, there's, there's an intrigue, but there isn't a worship. People interested in Jesus, and this is illustrated with Herod's interest in John, but there isn't a willingness to surrender to Jesus. And so, you know, the story on Herod's birthday, uh, the drama that is Herod's home and his family, uh, his niece slash sister-in-law some something it's it's it gets really convoluted and, and crazy she dances he promises up to half his kingdom of course that's not to be taken literally um and she asked for john the baptist be be beheaded verse 26 the king was greatly distressed of course he's not a king but nevertheless but because of his oaths and his dinner guests he did not want to refuse her verse 27 so immediately there's that word 
He sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. I want you to notice a few things. The motivation behind beheading John the Baptist will be a similar motivation of Pilate having Jesus executed. Herod didn't want to do it, much the way Pilate didn't want to do it. But for political reasons, was forced into it. This is an act of injustice, as will be the death of Jesus. John dies and was laid in the tomb. Jesus died, is laid in the tomb. The difference is, Jesus didn't stay in that tomb for very long. So we see this pattern of intrigue but not worship. We, we go down to Jesus feeding the 5,000, um, and we see that the disciples of John come to tell Jesus, and he tells them, uh, in verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Other translations will say to a desolate place and get some rest. It's interesting that, remember, Jesus was tempted in a desolate place. Now, desolate places are places of, of um, rest, of worship, of prayer, and of refreshing. Um, and then we get to feed in the 5,000. I trust you're familiar with, with the story. But I want us to see verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Now notice again, he's taken the disciples to a desolate place, a place of rest, and with him comes an entire multitude. But what does Jesus give them? He gives them rest in the desolate place. And he does it as the bread of life, to use Johannine theology, theological language. They were satisfied in the gift the Son gives them. Now, they're still not getting exactly who Jesus is, but we see what happens when we come to Jesus. We find rest for our weary souls. Whether you're mourning the loss of your mentor uh, and teacher, or whether you are hungry and thirsty. Then we get the story of Jesus walking on water. Verse 45, immediately. Well, it's not immediately in, in a technical sense, um, but in, in the way John tells the story, um, it makes sense. It's a very fast-paced uh, story writing. And so immediately, Jesus tells the disciples, get into the boat. And now he then goes to the mountainside to pray. So he, he meets the needs of the, of the multitude in the desolate place. He then decides to go to the mountain to, to pray. Excuse me, to, to pray. So again, he goes to a more desolate place, a more abandoned place. And of course, the mountains is where, um, in ancient Near Eastern uh, culture, the mountains is where the gods dwelled, right? So Jesus goes to the mountain to pray, much the same way that Elijah and Moses and others did the same thing. Um, and then we get the story of Jesus walking on water. It's there in verse 48. He was walking on the lake. The disciples think that it is a ghost. But it says there in verse 50, immediately, there's that word yet again, Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And this is where the English is good, but it isn't sufficient to understand what it is it's really saying here. Now remember, Mark wants the reader to see Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's his point, the whole gospel. Much in the same way John wants the, the reader to see that Jesus is Logos, life, light, lamb. So Mark wants, and Matthew wants us to see Jesus as king. Mark wants us to see Jesus as the son of God. Well, 
what Jesus says to the disciples is significant. Didn't say, hey guys, don't worry, don't freak out. It's your boy, Jesus. You care if I arrest in the boat? I'll take care of the storm. Don't worry, I've done it before. This is nothing to me, right? It's not what Jesus is saying. He says, take courage. Have faith. Why? The NIV, which I accidentally put in my notes instead of the ESV, says, it is I. Now, okay, we get the point. The Greek is different. Here, Mark looks very Johannine. Remember that in John's Gospel, there were the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the vine. I'm the light. Uh, I'm the resurrection. I'm, I'm all of these. Right before Abraham was, I am. We talked about all of that. You remember what we said? That in the Old Testament, when Moses met the uh, angel or met God at the burning bush, and Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And uh, God says in the, in the bush, I am sent you. And so that phrase, I am, is the etymological basis of the proper name of God, Yahweh, right? Well, when the Greek translated that uh, into the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it, it took I am, and instead of writing I'm, which you can do in Greek, it wrote I am. So when Jesus shows up, he, he borrows from that phrase, and he's saying, I'm the guy that talked to Moses. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And that's what he does here. Take courage. Be of faith. Why? I am. So notice what you have here is light amid the dark. And we talked about this quite a bit in John 6, where John 2 goes from feeding the 5,000 to, 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 to the walking on the water. And there the emphasis is on light. So Jesus says, I am, therefore, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. So Mark wants the reader to see who this Jesus is. He's the one who can forgive sins. He's the one that can conquer uh, sickness and death and, and, and the demonize. He is the great I am. Therefore, be afraid. Take courage. Live by faith. He is the great I am. And so he gets to the other end of the, of the sea after he calms it. What does he find? More people who are sick, more people in need, and he heals them all. You see, people steal in chapter 6. They're, they're leaning in thinking there's something different about him. They're not ready to pull that trigger yet. They're not ready to say he is the great I am. He is the Son of God. But we need to know it is not sufficient to say Jesus it was a good person. Rather, the biblical writers want us to conclude he really is and remains the Son of God. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.